If you were to have spent a great deal of your life blind, unable to see, but then be able to receive an eye surgery that would now give you sight. How amazed would you be? With things that people who have sight that take for granted, just the simple things, an airplane, this, the trail of the airplane going by, the sunrise, the moon, those things that seem so ordinary that you would be so amazed by seeing those things? And do we, do we also miss the amazement of people who are close to us, family, friends, brethren, and do we take for granted and miss the amazing thing about a collection of God's people in one assembly like this? To hear the astonishing voices sing out and praise God that He still came? Do we take those things for granted and miss the utter amazement of them? And correspondingly, is it possible to miss the amazing story of Jesus and his birth? Is it become so commonplace that we lose the, the utter wonder? of his birth. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're awfully glad to have you be with us this morning. But perhaps you notice the absence of any trappings, pomp, and circumstance that in our collective worship to God today that has in any way given worship and honor to Jesus as though December 25th were the date of his birth. But what you have observed is that we did pause and we did remember. We did celebrate and we did partake of the memorial that he put in place for Christians to observe on the first day of the week. And that the first day of every week, Christians observe that memorial. But we come to this occasion once a year in which, sadly, it's the only time of the year sometimes people will darken the door of a worship house like this and not be present again for another 11 months. Or the only time in which people in the world even pause to give any, any inkling of thought 
about Jesus. And because of that, I think in our fellowship of people, we have run as far as we can away from an amazing story. I missed a golden opportunity to take advantage of something the world has put in our lap to talk about this story, its importance in our life, and what it leads to. I'm not afraid nor ashamed to tell you the wonderful story of Jesus this morning. Having made the statement I just made, that today is the only day of many days out of 365 that people will think about Jesus. I read just yesterday that 61% of churches, that's across Christendom, all general flavors, 61% of churches have instructed their people, we're not going to meet today. That this is the day you stay home and you spend time with your family. I must tell you, I wish it were that all in Christendom 100% would give some acknowledgement to God today. Because the 61% tells us something that's really, really a sad thing. That our world in its materialistic way, in its secularized way, is forgetting something even at one time all of Christendom seemed to acknowledge and forgetting about paying any attention to in whatever shape, form, or fashion you want to mention him about Jesus. And I think that 61% dismissed is indicative of the secularization of which our world is seemingly and increasingly rapidly devolving to. But this morning, I want us to take some time. And I want to open our eyes to some things about the birth of Jesus. The Bible tells us about the birth of Jesus. Not what the religious world tells us about it. But what the Bible tells us about the birth of Jesus. And to appreciate some things about his birth. But that's not where we're in. So just stay tuned for the rest of the story. In Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, you have the story that Luke records of how God came near. Look, beginning in verse 1. It came to pass that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. 
And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Pause just there. Do you observe on this occasion that this was just an ordinary day? That there was nothing about this day that, that would draw their attention to, to anything that had to do that something stupendous was going to happen? You know, when especially true with our firstborn, it's true across the board, but especially is it true with our firstborn, what do we normally do with our firstborn? Don't we normally send out pictures and announcements giving the size, the weight, and all the dimensions of the child and celebrating the birth of that child? But you know what I have never received? I've never received a notice from any senator or president about the birth of their child. And today on this day that Luke talks about, there was no invitation that went out that said, look, let me tell you about who was born today. In fact, it was an ordinary day. It was a day in which they had gone about and they were just simply going to go about honoring what was their religious heritage or their Jewish heritage to pay taxes and to honor. And there was no invitation, no announcement that was given there. No, no, no horns were blaring, no parade. Nothing was there to indicate. Something amazing had taken place. But I think the thing we learn from this particular story is we learn that they saw that everyone was important to God. Look, beginning in what you see in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Who did the angel appear to? The angel appeared to shepherds. And the astonishing thing about that is, is that shepherds were the epitome of nobodies. We sort of romanticize shepherds today, especially when it's around this particular scene. But shepherds were not romanticized. Shepherds were regarded as filthy people because they looked like and smelled like the sheep they often shepherded. They lived among the sheep. In fact, shepherds were so reviled that the Talmud says that in Roman law, they were not even allowed to serve on a jury in a court. And that was because they were not regarded as men of honor. They were regarded as men who would take the five-finger discount. That is, the kind of people that when walked away, you want to check, make sure your wallet was still in your pocket because they would take from you, they would steal from you. They were not highly regarded, highly honored. But did you see who he appeared to? He appeared to shepherds. That tells us that what we need to know that they saw that everyone was important to God. And that's exactly what John will say in chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world. Everybody's important to God. God loved you. God loved me. God loved everybody. Even these shepherds. God loved. And on this day, a baby is born just like you had a day when you had a baby that was born. 
And that baby took on flesh and cried. And as he grew, he was disappointed. He was discouraged and he was hungry. And he experienced pain just like people today, just like men and women today experience pain. They had to know one thing when they observed this. That regardless of all the mundane things that took place this day, when it was announced that this king was born, everybody was important to God. The second thing I think we learn from this, as we continue in the narrative, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. And you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. It says in verse 9, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. The most oft-repeated command in all the Bible is be not afraid. Do not fear. And here this angel comes and says, do not be afraid. Now, if you or I are the one that's going to tell people not to be afraid, then we need to have something to back that up. It may be one thing for a parent to tell a child, because the parent is the parent and the child is the child. Do not be afraid. And the child takes great comfort in the strength and the presence of the parent. But if we're going to tell someone not to be afraid, then we need to have something to back us up. And what we needed was not another financial advisor. We didn't need another life coach to come and tell us, this is our best life now. What we need is we need someone that can go 10 rounds with the adversary and also going 10 rounds with the adversary, defeat the adversary. We needed someone that was stronger, someone that was mightier, someone that was greater than the adversary himself. Man had already lost the battle. And man could not conquer because he'd already yielded his will as servant to the will of the adversary. But we needed someone that could come and could fight the battle and it required someone not of this earth. Bulls and goats had already been tried. And bulls and goats had proven to be insufficient. It required someone out of this realm. It required someone out of our earth, out of our existence to come and to take that mantle in hand and defeat the adversary. It required the Son of God coming and taking on flesh. And they had to know that good news had come to all who believe when he came. The third thing that is important to see, as we continue on in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward them. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to you to come to pass 
which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. It was told them. What did they learn? They saw some uncommon things at the birth of Jesus. What uncommon things did they see? They saw an uncommon pregnancy. The amazing thing about Jesus is not his birth. The amazing thing about Jesus is his pregnancy. The prophet had said, Behold, a virgin shall come forth and bear a child. This shall be a sign to you. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And can you just get the vision? Can you just get the, get the imagery? That the angels, the shepherds come, and they come to this stall, this barn, and they observe this baby laid in the feed trough, and they begin to tell Mary and Joseph, the most amazing thing happened to us. And Mary says, wait a minute. The most amazing thing happened to me. I was told I was going to bear a child and I've not known a man. And that child was going to be the byproduct of the Holy Spirit impregnating me and I was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. That is amazing. That's uncommon. Has anybody here experienced that kind of pregnancy? That's an uncommon pregnancy. But they also saw some uncommon prophecies. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 it says, And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Get that. The one who is born is going to be God with us. And you have the prophecy that a virgin shall give forth birth, bear a child. He shall be born in Bethlehem. He shall be called Lord. He shall be presented presence. Infants shall, shall suffer at, because of, of him, shall be put to death. There's going to be one that's going to be a forerunner before him, and that forerunner shall be in the likeness of Elijah. Eight prophecies that are given concerning the coming of Jesus. Statistically, that's been calculated by those who are able to do that kind of thing mathematically. And the mathematic, mathematical possibility of that happening is 10, 17 and 10, 10 with 17 zeros after it. 10 to the 17th power, that's what I was trying to say. 10 to the 17th power. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me and you. So let's put it in some measurable quantitation. If you take silver dollars and fill this building and then fill the state of Texas two feet deep and take just one of those and throw it somewhere in the state, the chances of someone finding that is one in 10 to the 17th power. And these were eight prophecies. They saw some uncommon things, but they also saw an uncommon presence. 
Hold your finger in Luke chapter 2 and look to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Listen to how he comes. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, who? God sent forth what? His son. Where? To be born of a woman under the law. And there was word that had spread, fable that had spread. In fact, one Roman historian by the name of Suetonius had said that it was an old legend that fate said that a ruler would come from the east and rule all Judea. Josephus said it was said that one would come for the ruler, come from the east and rule and govern his people. There was word that had spread that one was coming. And that was uncommon. He came with the fullness of time. What does it mean, the fullness of time? What about 10 years before? What about 10 years later? Well, when you look at the time that Jesus was born, and you look at the commonality of all that had come to shake hands at that time, it was a time that God had prepared. It was under the fourth kingdom that Daniel had prophesied, that is, the rule of the Romans. Language was becoming common to them, and the Koine Greek was becoming the common language. There were a time of people coming together, and there was more of a time when people were assimilating together. And so here is the fullness of time in all of history. Here is the fullness of time that God chose, born of a woman, born of the law, for His Son to come. That was uncommon. But they also saw some common things. For example, they saw common people, as we said, these were shepherds. There were no elite people. There were no priests, no high priests that were here, no scribes, no Pharisees that were here. Here you have a common man and a common young lady. And this common man is trying to do what is the honorable thing for this common young lady. Though at first when he found out, he sought to put her away. But he did not. And he is there when she is now giving birth to this child as his betrothed. Common people. Joseph a carpenter. He's not a man that lives in a palace. He's a man that worked by the sweat of his brow. You had common surroundings. It's just a barn. It's not a palace. This is not royalty that's come and the, and the trappings of royalty are there. Do any of you remember back when Prince William and Prince Harry were born? Do you remember the pop and the circumstance that accompanied their birth and their presentation to the world? There's no notice that the Prince of Peace has been born. It's just common surroundings. Common everyday surroundings. And then he's given a common name. He's named Jesus. Which meant Joshua, which meant Jehovah saves. But Jesus was a common name at that time. Wouldn't we have expected a name that was more noticeable than just say Jesus? And the appendix is 
from Nazareth. Common birth, uncommon pregnancy, common surroundings, common father, common name, from a common town. There was a prophecy that he would flee to Egypt. That was one of those eight. But here he's just born in Bethlehem in a stable and laid in a feed trough. Because his parents have come this day to do what Jews ordinarily did on this day, this time of the year. They came to pay their taxes. There was no advertisement from heaven that said, this is the day he's going to be born. There was no public announcement. It was a common day. And he was given a common name by the name of Jesus. In 1809, Napoleon was sweeping across France, Austria, and the whole world. Austria was succumbing to just bloodshed everywhere Napoleon went. But also in 1809, William Gladstone was born. He was a great English statesman. Sir Alfred Tennyson, the great poet, was born as well. In America, Oliver Cromwell, great politician, was born. And so was Edgar Allan Poe. Cromwell was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Crom uh, Poe was born in Boston, Massachusetts, a few miles apart. Also, on this same day, was born in a Kentucky cavern, very nondescript sort of family, a fellow by the name of Abraham Lincoln. And on that day, also was born a fellow by the name of Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin and Abraham Lincoln born the same day, in the same year. Can you imagine the front page? Can you imagine the front page about how Napoleon's conquering the world, and the world is just dripping in bloodshed? When really, the news of the day is that the world is being remade in England and America? But there was no New York Times headline that said, This day, a child is born that is the King of kings and Lord of lords and is remaking the world and is going to turn the world upside down. Nothing was said like that. But if you go back to Luke chapter 2, there is something that happens, I think, that is significant that we need to pay attention to. Because in verse 15 it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. You see, the birth of Christ imposes obligation on people who believe. We love to sentimentalize. We love to romanticize the birth of Jesus. But the birth of Jesus imposes obligation on people who believe. And notice what these angels did. It said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which is, do which is done that the Lord has made known. And then it says, going on, now when they had seen him, verse 17, they made widely known the saying which was told concerning this child. They widely known the prophecies that had been said concerning this child. What did they do? They went about and they told the story. 
They told the story of the birth of this child. What if, what if the shepherds had doubted? What if they'd said, oh, wait, no, this is not the right time. This is not, not, not the time of the year. Not the time, this is not going to happen this time. And they just didn't believe. They just didn't come. What if they doubted? But that's not what they did. Well, that part of verse 15, they said, let us now go to Bethlehem. And then verse 17, let us go widely spread. This child is born. And I would suggest to you that imposes an obligation on me and you to go tell the story. That wonderful story about the birth of this child. But, and here's the extension that's really, really important for us. That child grew to be a man. And that man said something like this. If you would be my disciple, then take up your cross and follow me. That man, that man who his own people sought to throw him over a cliff, that man, that man that was reviled and rejected, that man that challenges our self-will, our selfishness, and our own sentimentalities, and old romanticism, and old materialism about all that was made. That man demands something of us. That man said some hard things. He said, take up your cross. He said, a man must hate father and mother. Or you can't be my disciple unless you love me more. That man said, it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That man said, if you reject me, you reject him who sent me. That man said, the only way to enter relationship with the Father is through me. That man said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. That man said some hard things. You see, the baby as amazing as his birth is, demands nothing of us. But the man, Christ Jesus, does. It's easy to be enamored by the birth. But we turn our back on the man who demands something of us. You see, we adore. We adore that a baby is born, but don't honor the reason. We relish the baby, the child, not the man, Christ, the Lord. We envision the birth of the baby, but not the king of kings. We participate in the Christmas season, but not the actions of a Christian. We clamor for the Christmas spirit, but miss the spirit of Christ. And pay lip service. Pay lip service to him because of his birth. And miss that the man said, if you're going to be my disciple, 
You must take up your cross and follow me. He requires of us obedience. The man that is the Christ requires of us obedience. And the man will change our lives. And the man will change who we are. You can't tell the story of the man without beginning with his birth. But you also can't conclude the story of the man until you see the one who was a baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes held close to his mother's breast becomes the man that hangs on a cross whose mother stands at his feet and can do nothing about it. What a moment. What a moment. I well remember the birth of the two children. I well remember the birth of all eight grandkids. I remember the birth of many of you. But we didn't send out announcements. What a moment it was that day, but I wonder, did the innkeepers realize they missed a great opportunity here to merchandise the birth of this one? If you can envision sleeping in the Lincoln bedroom, can you envision staying in the room where he is born? You talk about merchandising that. I wonder, did the people in the city, this moment, I wonder, did the people in this city second-guess themselves that when Joseph knocked on the door and said, can we find lodging here? And he said, the man of the house said, no, there's no room. I wonder in that moment, when he's born, did they, did they second guess why did we miss this opportunity for him to be born here? But more to the point, when you think about that moment, what would you and I have done? Sitting here in the quietude of our auditorium, collected together like this, we might have said, I would have, but there were people just like me and you living that day that did not. Would we have chosen any different? That's not what really matters. That's nice to think about what a moment that was. But that's not what really matters. This is what matters. In this moment, what will you do with Jesus? The man who hung up on a cross. 
Will you bow to that Jesus? The one who hung up on a cross? The one who said, I'm giving my life for all the world because I love them so much. Will we bow before him? You see, bowing before a baby doesn't demand anything of you. But bowing before a crucified Savior requires that He be Lord. It's easy to offer the sentimentality toward one and turn our back on the other. But the one that really matters is the one who becomes the man, Christ Jesus, who hung on a cross. Three days later, was resurrected. Forty days later, ascended to the right hand of the Father and now is enthroned as Lord in Christ. It is that Lord, the one now enthroned as Lord in Christ, that we worship. It is that Lord, the one that's now enthroned as Lord in Christ, that we honor. It is that Lord, the one now enthroned as Lord in Christ, that is the difference maker in our lives. It is that Lord, the one that is now enthroned as Lord in Christ, that is our high priest that intercedes for us. It is that Lord, the one that is now Lord in Christ at the right hand of God, whose word we hear and listen to when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, there's no way to get to the man apart from the birth. But the birth was a common birth. But that common birth produced an extraordinary, extraordinary Lord and Savior. Before Him, we bow. And it's He who invites us to the Father. And it's through He, through Him, that we're able to come and have the opportunity for God's grace to be extended to us. Thank God for Jesus of Nazareth. who loved us more than all the world, so that all who believe could come to Him. Come to Jesus. Come to the resurrected Lord. Come to the one enthroned as Lord in Christ. And that Lord will save your soul while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.